0: And welcome to Abundant Grace Church. I am, of course, Pastor Caleb Andrews, uh, my lovely wife, Miss Tiffany, here on the front row. We'd like to welcome you to our Christmas service for 2021. It's an exciting time. So if you have your Bible with you, if you would turn to Luke chapter 2, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to hit some traditional verses, but hopefully see it from a little different perspective tonight. So if I had a title or something of that nature, a title or text, it would be, Meeting Jesus Should Change You. So I'll say that again. Meeting Jesus Should Change You. And we know that many people in the Bible met Jesus, of course, but not all of them were changed. Not all of them allowed Him to do what He wanted to do in their life. Not all of them were changed that interacted with Jesus, had everything, every need met that they desired. They said, wait a minute now, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Jesus, did he heal a lot of people? Absolutely. But one, one person that comes to mind right off the bat would be the rich young ruler. Because he came to Jesus. Jesus, he said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be born again? Jesus lays it out for him. He says, well, I've done all this from my youth up. He says, but you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Now, does that mean that he was saying, well, you got to be poor to be a Christian? No, it's not what he meant. He knew that all of those possessions had a heart tie in that young man's life. And he knew that that's what he was about to put his finger on. So there's things in our lives that we could say, well, I give Jesus this, I give Jesus that. But does Jesus, is he the true Lord of your life? Now, is He your Savior? Hopefully, hopefully you've been forgiven of your sins. You've given Him all those things. But yet, have you made Him the Lord of your life? Your Master? I know that may not be a politically correct term, but have you made Him your Master of your life? He directs. He's the one that tells you where to come and go. Some people don't like to give that control up. Anyway, so Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says, And there were in the same country shepherds, and this shall be a sign unto you. And ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, we're going to pause right there for just a moment. But notice when these shepherds, when they hear the good news, they're, they're minding their own business, they're living their life, they're you know, watching their flock, they're doing their thing. So they're having a normal night. A normal, a normal night for them. But all of a sudden, we'll say the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ comes to these men, comes to these shepherds through the angels. So it almost like it interrupts what they're doing. It interrupts their life and they're given this good news. There has been a Savior that is born. There is a Savior that is born, but this good tidings shall go unto all people. But it's almost like they got a special invitation to say this baby has been born. He's a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And they say that the sign of this Savior, the sign of this person, is it's a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now, we know, of course, the, the traditional Christmas story. But notice when the angels are talking to these shepherds, it, they relate it to something they know. They know about swaddling clothes. They know about a manger. What's a manger? It's a feeding trough for animals. Something they know all, all about. But when the angels are telling them, this paints the picture for us now that we can see in retrospect that when Jesus says, he says in, in John six forty eight, 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Now, what's that got to do with this? Jesus is placed in the feeding trough. He's the one that is being the... Uh, He's being the, of course, he declares himself as the bread of life. When he's placed in this manger, that, that manger is where the animals would come and feed. It's almost like a sign to them of this is the person that will give, be given to save people. It's the one that is given, the one that will be partaken of, that we can see now, that be partaken of to give eternal life, to give that bread of life that many people don't understand. But he's, we can see this picture is already painted for them in this day. But notice, when these men are there, they're probably not catch, capturing this whole picture in perspective because they can only see what they know. Oh, it's a, it's a babe. It's supposed to be our Savior. He's wrapped, in, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, but He's laid in a manger. That doesn't sound much like a Savior or a King. But as we can see, looking back, this all is a picture in us and a symbol that God works with each and every small detail to build it up for us to see that is the savior. That is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He's not the one that, you know, we've been deceived into believing. He has all of these all of these points that he had to hit to to all these prophecies and everything else that has been given to prove he's the Messiah. So when we look back even at his birth, he was given that picture and all these small details to show to us that he's the Messiah. So Him being put in the manger, we know that that's where the animals would feed, and we are called sheep as the allegory in the Bible. So if we are sheep, we go to the the feeding trough where we would go to be fed, we know that we can partake of the bread of life, Jesus Christ, to have eternal life. But putting that aside, verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. Now I'm going to read that same verse. Verse 14 from the New Living Translation. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now wait a minute. That gives a a kind of a different picture there. Because we see from the King James. It says glory to God in the highest. Kind of the same there. And on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. Now. Many people will use that this time of year. Peace, goodwill toward men, goodwill to all men. But that's not what God's meaning. Because why, why is God obligated to bless somebody He doesn't even know? Why is God obligated to bless somebody that's not part of His family? Now, did He? Absolutely. He sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior even when we were His enemy. But God is particularly interested in those that make Him their God, those that claim Him as their Father. So that's the ones that He's wanting to have goodwill. He's wanting them to be, to be uh, taken care of and to have peace because we know that if we belong to God, Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. We know that He gives a peace and, and, and a blessing that is past all understanding. So when we look to Jesus Christ and we have that relationship with Him, we're going to have the peace of God on the inside of us. That's going to bring the peace. But notice, have you ever been, have you ever had a friendship or relationship where you know you've done something maybe wrong against that person, and all of a sudden you don't have peace with them anymore? Where you just you feel that you feel that disconnect to where man, I I I just I've done them wrong. I I, you know honestly I'm I'm embarrassed to be around them. I'm ashamed to be around them. Until you what you make it right. So if God is wanting peace. With people, he can't have peace with those that have done something against him, those that have sinned against him. So what does he want to do? He wants to invite all those to come in to be now through Jesus Christ to be forgiven of their sins, to go through the proper process and be reconciled unto him and for them to have peace then because he is pleased with them, because they've given their heart and life over to him. So then then if he's pleased with them, he can give them peace. But glory to God in the highest and peace and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Now, notice these are shepherds. They probably, you know, they go through every day. They watch over their flock. They, you know. Are making sure that they're taken care of, making sure they're being fed, make sure that, you know, wolves and predators are not coming in. They're probably go through the same process almost every day. But then all of a sudden they get interrupted by these angels. But notice when these angels give them this news and they start praising God, the angels do, these shepherds get curious. They start saying, Let's go see. Let's go see about this. Let's go see. Let's go see. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's travel. Let's make this little journey. And see this thing which has come to pass. Notice sixteen, verse 16. And they came with haste. Which means they didn't lollygag. They didn't take their time. They said, we're interested in this. We want to go see what this is all about. We want to go see about this Savior. So what did they do? They make haste. And they found Mary, Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So these, these shepherds, when they go, they make haste, they don't make a lot about it. They, of course, you know when they're going, it's not like an easy little thing where it's just a handful of guys. They've got to take their flock with them. So they're gathering up all of their sheep. They're gathering up all their whole flock and they're taking everything they got to make this journey. And they make haste with it. They hurry. They try to get there. And when they do, they come in, they find Mary, Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. They see exactly what the angel has described to them. And what do they start doing? They start praising and worshiping God. Now, verse 19 again, or verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So I notice even when the shepherds leave, they're praising, they're glorifying God. Their life has been changed by this baby. Their life has been changed by the Savior because they were in normal life and now when they're leaving and encountering an encounter with Jesus, they're beginning to worship God. They're beginning to praise God. There was something that was different in them that said we're going to worship and praise God now. We've encountered the Savior. We've seen Him. So they were changed. So these men were changed. So let's look at Matthew chapter 2. we I'm going to start at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, or we would also call them Magi, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, because he's feeling threatened. He's feeling threatened. Wait a minute. There's a king of the Jews. There's this king I don't know about. Wait a minute. My power is being threatened. Amen. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So now he's saying, all right, there's there's I guess there's been rumor of this. the savior that's been born this king of the jews i need to know more about this i need to find out information about this because if somebody's going to steal my throne then i'm not going to go down without a fight now this man didn't know the impact that jesus was going to have that he's going to be the king of the jews he's not after herod's throne he's after a higher throne he's come to bring salvation to all mankind not just sit on a small throne on the earth amen Verse five, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately or privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So he's trying to gather intel. He's trying to gather how and put all these pieces together. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Of course, we know this is deception. This is just like the enemy, saying, Oh, my my kingdom's being my kingdom's being uh, encrouched upon. You know, that's the way also the way the enemy, Satan, works. It's when he feels that somebody is about to encounter Jesus, he's going to fight tooth and toenail to keep them away from being born again, keep them away from the true and living king, the king of kings. He tries to fight and keep his throne in their life especially. But go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Verse 9, when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. Till till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Notice all the signs that led them to Christ, they got excited about. They got excited about the star. They got excited about hearing that Jesus was being born. They got excited about every little detail of this. Because you got to realize, these men have had a tradition for years to look for this king. Almost since the time of Daniel. He all, he's the one that established it. So you've got these people that are watching the stars, trying to see, all right, when's the Messiah going to be born? When's the Messiah going to be born? And then you get these wise men. All of a sudden, it's their turn to be on guard, to be on that lookout. Then all of a sudden, it happens. So now, you could take these men, they've, they've been looking for this promise for a long time. And then all of a sudden, they're the ones that get to go and, and, and endure this journey to find the Savior. Now, verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, notice this verse says house. It doesn't say manger. It doesn't say stable. It says a house. They saw the young child with with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures. They presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, Something, something occurred to me as I was studying this, and the Lord was showing me some things. Notice that the shepherds, when they saw Jesus, He was in a stable. He was in a manger. What are they used to? They're used to stables. They're used to mangers. They're used to being in the field. But then when the wise men come, when they come to find Him, He's in a house. He's more of, a, more of an establishment. They see Him as the King. So you got one that sees Him maybe as the Shepherd, the Savior, but then you got another group that sees Him as the King. Now we know on this side of the cross, we know that Jesus is both the Great Shepherd and He's also the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we can see how all of these small details begin to unfold for us to see the importance of Jesus Christ. But... Here's here's the thing that one of the, one of the things that the Lord showed me. Jesus is everything you need. He is all that you were looking for. No matter if you're hurt, he can be your healer. No matter if you're lost, he can be your savior. No matter what you have need of, he is it. Because you know Jesus also said in the word, he said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you." So, If we're seeking Him and His righteousness, now a lot of times we we think about this, or at least I do, I think about this as I'm putting God first so everything else that I have need of will will be there for me. God's going to supply it. I rely on Him and it'll, it'll, it'll come to pass for me. But how about even before we're ever even saved? If we seek God and His righteousness, what comes? Everything that we have need of. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Then everything else after that still follows through. But when we look to him as our God, we look to him as our as our father and we look to Jesus as our savior, but also our Lord, we receive everything we have need of. But notice these these wise men, they were looking for a king and they found him. And what do they do, they bring him treasures, they bring him gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh, and we could probably get unto a whole nother 30 or 45 minutes into just those three things alone. But for for tonight, we will skip over that. Maybe we'll do that next year. But verse 12 says, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now, I do have to give credit to this part from my dad because I I heard him preach a message. He used to be a pastor when I was growing up that he said the wise men left a different way. Now, you can take that one or two ways. Here, this literally means they took a different route because they weren't going back to Herod. But you could also see this in a different way, in a spiritual aspect. They left differently because they had found the king they had been waiting for, they found the king they had been looking for. So, in both of these scenarios, when they met Jesus, they were changed the shepherds were changed because they began to glorify God but you also had the wise men they went they left different they left differently because they had found the king of kings and the lord of lords so my question for us tonight is have you really encountered Jesus do you really have a relationship with him because if you have if you've really encountered Jesus you're going to be changed now i will say this that has a good and bad context to it because if you meet Jesus and you choose not to allow him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you're going to be changed because you're going to feel conviction. You're going to feel that callousness. You're going to feel bitter because you haven't had that peace, that Prince of Peace come into your life and forgive you of your sins. Or the happier option, the better option is when you encounter Jesus Christ, you invite Him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You give your sins over to Him. You ask for forgiveness. And He washes all that away. And there comes a great peace. And there's a change in, lo- in your life that truly takes place. And you can't really explain it. It's like my dad also used to say. He would say, it's just like homemade ice cream. He said, you can't tell somebody how good it is. You just got to share it with them and let them experience it for themselves. Amen. So Apparently, y'all never had homemade ice cream. That's okay. I'll use another example next time. <laughs> Amen. So let's, let's turn over to Romans. Just the last couple of verses here. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. You can write this down or you can turn there. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm going to read it again. For the wages of sin, which we were all born into sin, That comes naturally. We were all born into sin. So that means the automatic wages of sin for us is going to be death. We say, does that mean I'm just going to die if I don't get born again? You eventually die, but everything in your life will begin to perish as well because sin has a paycheck. You continue in sin. There will be death to relationships, death to your finances, and eventually death will come for you in in your natural body. That will try to come for all of us, but the wages of that also carry over into eternity. Because the wages of sin brings two deaths. A death here that's natural that everybody must face unless Jesus comes back and His believers are raptured. Or, the next death after that is the second death, which is the final judgment. But, there is hope. For the wages of sin is death, but, how how many likes those conjectures in a sentence like that? When you're given a bad choice, you tell the negative. But then the word, but, means there's a positive in there. Praise God. The gift of God is eternal life. That means God gives it. He gives it to anybody that is willing to partake of it. But it comes through Jesus Christ. Now, I have a note in my Bible that says you know, it, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it says, literally, literally. It's in Christ Jesus. That's where the gift comes from. We know that Jesus was probably one of the the first gifts that God ever gave mankind that could redeem them. He, He was the first gift, probably from God the Father, but He's the only gift to bring redemption to mankind from sin. He's the only way. But with this, we know that we must know that there is a wage of sin. But there's also a way out of that. So how do we do that, Pastor Caleb? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's flip over to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Last verse. That Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart. So notice there's a confess out of your mouth, and there's a believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it takes two, part, two parts of salvation, two parts of, of faith to be put with that. So it's of the heart that you believe, and with the mouth you make confession. Because I could say all day long, I love you, I love you. Now, do you believe that in your heart? No, but I've got the confession coming out of my mouth. Right? I told every one of you I loved you. But do you believe it in your heart? No. I don't believe it in mine the way I was talking. I'm like, mm, what's the matter with you? <laughs> but when you believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth, then it, it brings on a whole new meaning. If I say, I love you. I love you. Now, you have to take my word for it because you see it. But if I say it in that kind of context if i say it in that manner then you can see you can almost feel my heart and see what i'm saying is is lining up with my mouth now many times we'll, we'll declare something unto god god forgive me god forgive me forgive me what i just did now you may have said it differently with your mouth but you said it that way in your heart you're just going through the motions just to make it right with god but god sees that God says, I'm not accepting that. You've got to believe it in your heart. You've got to be sincere. The Word says that we're to come, with, to come to Him with a contrite spirit, which means a broken spirit, one that's truly saying, Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I know I, I know I messed up. I know I sinned. But please help me. Please forgive me. That's what God honors. That's what God sees. That's what He wants. You know, as I've used the example before, you know, my boys could could ask me for something or they could tell me they want something, but in but unless they come with the right heart, the right attitude, they're not going to get it. Daddy, I want this for Christmas. You might want to check yourself where you get spanking. That's the first thing you need to do. That little mouth like that. But if you but if you come to them and they and they if they come to me and they say, Daddy, could I have this for Christmas? You don't know how many last trip late night trips to Walmart I've had over the years trying to get something last minute for Christmas because they come to me like that and say, Daddy, can I have this for Christmas? I'd really like to have this. Let's put you to bed so I can run to Walmart real quick. (laughs) But it's it's that when you can tell when it comes from here and from here. But that's what God wants. He wants us to believe in our heart that Jesus died for our sins and that we confess it with our mouth that not only did he die, but he was resurrected, that we could have eternal life. So tonight, I ask you, have you have you met Jesus and have you been changed by him? Amen. Now, for some of us, we can say, "Yeah, well, I've, I've met Jesus. He's convicted me at times, and he's you know helped me. He's, he's my Savior." But maybe there's somebody here tonight that says, "You know what? I have encountered Jesus." And I haven't given my heart and life over to Him, so I, I know I'm bitter. I'm bitter right now talking about Jesus Christ. Hopefully, tonight is the night that you decide that you change that relationship, that when you, you talk to Jesus tonight, that that can turn from bitterness into redemption. That can turn from, from hatred and, and conviction into redemption and blessing and a love for Jesus Christ to be your Savior.